from the Medical Republic, I'm Wendy John. Most GPs in Australia are contractors, but that line between contractor and employee does sometimes get blurred and this can be expensive. More seasoned doctors might have the whole contractor contract sorted, but there are a lot of pitfalls for early career doctors just starting out and they don't teach you this stuff in medical school. But maybe they should because the implications for your future financial security hinge partly on you getting it right. So this episode of The Tea Room, I'm speaking with Anthony Parney, who is a tax consultant at DPM Financial Services. He's going to give us a rundown on what some of those big risks are and how to avoid them. Welcome to The Tea Room, Anthony. Thanks for joining us. No problems, Wendy. Great to be here. Now, before we go any further, let me give us a quick heads up about today's conversation. The information discussed here is of a general nature so it may not be right for your personal circumstances. DPM Financial Services recommends you obtain advice concerning specific matters before making a decision. Anthony, as a tax consultant, you often have to help get GP contractors out of hot water. What are some of the biggest risks of being a contractor? So I think the main thing to consider is that once you finish your training as a GP, you're probably going to be working at that clinic that you've done your training or maybe finding a some work at a new clinic and you do have to be a contractor. I think a couple of the issues that I've seen before is a GP is coming to us saying, what do you mean I have to lodge an activity statement? I'm not registered for GST because I'm billing under Medicare and that's GST free, which is not entirely correct. If you're a business operating in Australia, earning over $75,000 a year, you must register for GST. Yes, you're not collecting it, uh, but you still need to report your income every quarter as well as the GST you've paid on your expenses, which is actually a good thing because as a new GP, you're going to be getting refunds of the GST that you're paying on your expenses. So I think that's probably the main one, making sure that you're registered for GST. So even as a sole trader, earning over $75,000 a year, register as GST. Have to, yeah. And that's under your name. So another probably uh, common issue that I've seen is people talking to friends or maybe getting some advice online um, that says, well, companies pay tax at 30%. And in fact, the small business tax rate is even lower than that. So why don't you incorporate and bill the clinic or bill your patients, sorry, through a company? Um, And there's specific laws in the tax legislation that prevent you from doing this. Well, they don't prevent you from doing it. What they do is they prevent you from just only paying that 26 or 30% tax And they say, if you've earned the income through your personal exertion, and by that they mean you actually have to go as an individual and treat patients to earn that income, then you've derived that income in your name and it needs to be taxed in your name. So having a company structure is not more advantageous with tax? No. All it does is create an extra layer of compliance for your accountant and probably more fees. So it's great to hear that for a a GP contractor, there's no real tax advantage to them, even though it might be of benefit to the clinic. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say most of my GP clients are just working as sole traders. So the ABN that they have is just attached to their personal tax file number. Uh, They have to lodge an activity statement every quarter to tell the ATO what their total income was. Any GST collected, which is very rare, but if you do any private reporting, you can collect GST and the clinic should track all that for you. And then obviously the GST that you've paid on your expenses, which can be quite significant. So as a new GP, 
you're, let's say you collect $10,000 in a fortnight and then you have to pay that service fee or the percentage back to the clinic. It's often around 30 or 35%. So let's say it's 30% and you've paid $3,000 back to the clinic plus $300 GST. You're going to get that $300 refunded to you when you lodge your activity statement with the ATO. Each quarter. Each quarter, you have to do that. Yeah, that's assuming you're earning over $75,000 for any 12-month period. That's when you have to register for GST. And you'll get that GST back each quarter or do you wait until the end of the year for that to come back? You get it back every quarter. The income tax you pay at the end of the year when you lodge your tax return. So you might have received $200,000 in income after your service fee, after you've paid your professional expenses like your APRA, college fees and indemnity insurance, which is for those that don't know, going to go up a little bit as you transition to contractor. So after we've accounted for all that in your tax return, you'll have a taxable income and you'll have to pay tax on it. If you lodge your tax return through an accountant, you can delay that process quite significantly. For example, for 30 June 2022, if you've got a tax bill and you're lodging through an accountant, you might not not have to pay that tax bill until the 5th of June 2023. So the ATO's kind of always at least 12 months behind whatever your income is. And they don't start asking for tax instalments, which is a quarterly contribution to a future tax bill, until you lodge that tax return showing that business income that hasn't been taxed yet. So it can create what we like to call a bit of a tax holiday for GPs and other um, specialists that start, start out as contractors. But is that a bit of a false economy? Because if you're always on a tax holiday, you're basically just always one year delayed so after yeah, you're sort of kicking the can down the road in terms of tax um what we would like to see is clients perhaps saving that money and it is a, probably a little bit annoying at the moment in a low interest rate environment you're not getting a huge return but if you can leave that money in say your offset account for a year it could save you several thousand dollars um in interest on your home loan um and yeah. yes you are sort of a little bit uh behind in terms of what you're paying tax on so you're your offset account is going to look overinflated because some of that money should be earmarked for tax. But one thing we like to do at DPM when we complete a tax return is provide a schedule for our clients. They know exactly what they're going to have to pay in tax and future instalments after lodging that tax return. Are tax bills an issue for contractors? Do people get caught out? I think so if they're not getting proper advice. So... Yeah, one thing that I stress to my clients from from day dot of working as a contractor is you need to save some of this money for tax. And I think also for GPs, because it's a shorter training program, they're finishing these, they're finishing the training program and starting work and they still have a help debt in place. And once you earn over, I'm not sure exactly of the threshold, but it's somewhere in that low hundred thousands, um, your help repayment is 10%. So every dollar you earn over 180,000, you're paying 47% tax plus 10% help. So that's 57 cents on the dollar over $180,000 that you need to be paying in tax. So you do need to be careful of saving that money and making sure you're not spending it before your tax bill is due. And is that money that will come out annually or is that money that can come out once a quarter? So the initial payment will be your annual tax return. And then the ATO will start asking for one quarter of that going forward. So let's say your tax bill in the first year is $60,000. After you lodge that tax return, you can be pretty comfortable with the ATO asking for about $15,000 per quarter going forward. 
And that's essentially you prepaying tax for the following financial year. And that's probably handy when someone has a, a busy practice, they're trying to get ahead in creating a customer base, new, newer in the game, finished training, and not necessarily thinking about tax. So to pay tax quarterly is perhaps something that might be helpful. Yes, absolutely. And really, there's no way around it. If you you can vary your instalments, so you can change the PAYG, the quarterly tax instalment, um, to reflect your billings. For example, let's say um, a young GP has started work and worked for a couple of years and is earning a pretty good income paying that, let's say, $60,000 a year in tax, but then they um, decide to start a family and they go on mat leave. So the ATO is going to keep asking for these tax instalments because they don't know that you're on maternity leave and you're not working. But through your accountant, or you can even do it yourself through MyGov, you can vary your instalment down to zero and not pay a tax instalment for a quarter in which you didn't work. And some people say, well, that's great. I'll just, even though I'm not on that leave and I'm still working, I want to leave this money in my offset account because it's saving me a lot of interest on my home loan. So I just won't pay it. Um, You can get caught out there. Um, The ATO can charge interest on the unpaid tax instalment. They'll say, well, we wanted this money 18 months ago or 12 months ago, whatever it was for your, for your tax instalment. And you told us that you didn't earn any income and you wanted to pay it zero. You wanted to pay nothing towards your tax bill. Um, we're going to ask for interest on this $15,000 quarterly instalment at around nine or 10%. So before you are saying we can delay the tax and put that money in our offset account and could get really good advantage on our mortgage yeah. and just be kicking the can uh, down the yeah. street but then the ATO may require us to start paying tax quarterly, which is good in terms of being across our finances and knowing what's happening, but then we miss out on having that money in the offset account. Yeah, the choice that you get is really for the end of year tax return. This is why I think it's really good to get advice and make sure that you get a schedule from an accountant like DPM, where we can tell you exactly what's coming up in terms of your tax obligations. So you can sort of diarize the payments. Tell us a little bit about bookkeeping software to help keep on track as well. Yeah, so there's a few options out there, um, which you know you see advertised everywhere, really. I think it's really taken off in recent years with the transition to the cloud. So your accountant and the GP, they can log into the bookkeeping file together and make any necessary changes. What we stress to our clients is the importance of having a separate, dedicated business bank account. Now, this doesn't have to be anything fancy, just another everyday account that only has your professional income going in, professional expenses going out, and drawings. So you can draw the money out to your offset account. But the reason why we want it hitting a dedicated business account is we can put that bank account onto the bookkeeping software and we can generate an automatic bank feed. So when I log into your mild file, I can see that on the 9th of March, you received $10,000 from your GP clinic. And I can tell the software how much of that is income and how much of that is service fee paid back to the clinic, including GST. So at the end of the quarter, the software automatically adds up all of your income, all of your expenses, all the GST you collected and paid, and it gives you the figures to punch into your activity statement. It makes it very easy. It will save you and your accountant a lot of time. It makes a lot of sense to have that kind of a service set up. I was just thinking about the ways that GPs can be paid, and I've mentioned the service fee model, which for cash flow purposes can work two ways. The way it should work 
is the GP should actually collect 100% of the patient fees that they earn. And then they should get an invoice from the clinic that says, hey, you earned $10,000 for that fortnight. As per our service agreement, you owe us $3,000 plus GST. So here's an invoice for the $3,000 that you physically pay back to them. In reality, what a lot of practices do is they just just pay the difference. They pay you the $6,700, which is $10,000 of billings, less $3,300 in service fee. So that's the amount that hits your bank account and it needs to be split out in your bookkeeping software. The other way that some contractors get paid is a percentage of their billings. So it works the opposite way in that the clinic receives the patient fees and their clinic software will say, okay, well, Dr. Wendy earned $10,000 of patient fees for that fortnight. We need to pay her 70% being the opposite of the 30% service fee. So we're going to pay her 70% plus GST. In this example, you're actually collecting GST. So you'll collect $7,700. And we spoke about false economies before. This is really going to overstate your offset account or your savings account because that GST is not yours. You need to send that to the ATO every quarter when you lodge your BAS. So again, something to discuss with your accountant to make sure you're saving the correct portion of what you receive every fortnight for future tax and GST payments. But that's advantageous even for those couple of months that that GST stays in your offset account. That's good for your mortgage too. Oh yeah, absolutely. We want to basically keep on to as much cash as we can for as long as we can. So it does it does work out quite well. And I think the other thing that um, we wanted to talk about today was superannuation. Because as a contractor, as I mentioned at the top, the practice that you're engaged with doesn't have to pay you superannuation. So as a contractor, you have 100% control over how much superannuation you pay for yourself and therefore claims a tax deduction. As a tax advisor, I can't say how much a client should be putting into superannuation, but I can say that the annual limit at the moment for deductible contributions, so money that you put into super and then claim a tax deduction for, is 27500 If you were working as an employee um, and... I think as most people listen to this podcast will know, um, as a GP registrar, the income's not massive. Um, You are receiving some super, but you're probably not getting the full use of that cap for those years when you were a trainee. They changed the rules a couple of years ago to say that you can roll forward any unused superannuation cap. So there's carry forward amounts as well that you might be able to access if you wanted to put extra money into super and claim a tax deduction for it. So it can be quite an efficient way to reduce tax and invest some money for your long-term retirement. So if we look at some of the shorter-term goals, maybe buying your first home, what would you say about that? Um, There is one way that you can access money from super um, that was only introduced a few years ago um, to help buy your first home. And it's called the First Home Super Saver Scheme. I don't know if many of our listeners have heard of it because it's something that I talk to clients about regularly and they haven't heard about it, but essentially at $15,000 a year, you can direct towards super and then access later to help fund your first home deposit. There's quite a lot of rules around um, how you do it and when you do it. So you do want to be getting some advice and making sure you're on top of it all. But the maximum from 1 July 2022 is $50,000 overall. So you do $15,000 a year three times and then another $5,000. And I think the best thing about it is that it's basically a free kick in terms of the tax saving that you get. 
some people will say, well, hold on, why would I put that money into super? As I've seen the last couple of months, things can happen in the world and my superannuation balance can go down. But the strongest um, reason for using the first home super saver scheme is it's essentially a government guaranteed return on your investment. It's not huge, but it's better than leaving cash in the bank and earning a very small interest rate. Um, mm. And it comes with tax benefits as well. So definitely worth considering. That's the first home super saver scheme. It sounds like an, an elocution training. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's a little bit tongue twister, isn't it? That's right. Um, but you and your partner could both do it. And even if your partner has previously owned property in Australia before, um, the other party can still use the scheme. So in wrapping up, we've covered up uh, the first home super saver scheme, looking at paying super the structures of a contract arrangement, tax registrations, lots of information. Is there anything in wrapping up that you might suggest is useful for a GP contractor to think about? Um, in general terms, I, I would say speak to an advisor to get more specific advice around your level of income and, and mm. saving the tax because you don't want to fall into that trap of not having the money at tax time. That's probably the biggest one. Um, yep. And doing it in a tax savvy way. So look at things like superannuation and make sure you're claiming all the deductions that you can. But you really need to get that advice um, firsthand, I think. Yeah, no, that's great. Any final words? Um, I think that about covers it off. I think yeah. that other things to consider, though, that obviously DPM can help with are things like your insurances. So if your income's jumping up because now you're you're going from a registrar wage of ninety to a hundred thousand dollars to working as a GP contractor earning two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand dollars if you're working full time, you do want to look at making sure you've got adequate insurances in place. You might need to revisit income protection if you have it in place and increase it according to the jump in your income. And then as you take on debt, i.e. a mortgage, or if you start a family and have other dependents, you may want to consider life insurance, TPD cover as well. Things that aren't nice to think about, but um, definitely worth considering. Anthony Pani, thank you very much for your time. No problems. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. That was Anthony Pani from DPM Financial Services. We do hope you enjoyed this podcast, but please remember that the information discussed here is of a general nature and it's not intended to serve as advice. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of DPM Financial Services, not the Tea Room. This information is general in nature, so it may not be right for your personal circumstances. DPM Financial Services recommends you obtain advice concerning specific matters before making a decision. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for taking a break today and joining me in the tea room. If you like what you've heard, head on over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you normally find your podcasts to listen to our other episodes and subscribe. Leave us a review while you're there. And if you've got any news tips or just want to chat, you can email me at wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production from the journalists at the Medical Republic. Visit medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.